0: I hate to ask you to do anything, but if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting it from. Today on the show, I welcome Blair White. Blair is an American YouTuber and political commentator, and I want to thank Blair for having a safe and open conversation with me about topics of our time that I have found myself confused about. I also want to be clear that there was no intent to offend or upset anyone or any group. Please enjoy. You can find Miss Blair White on Instagram at Miss Blair White. Blair White, welcome to the American Glutton Podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So, this has been a place to have conversations mostly about weight loss. That's been like the primary focus, but I do talk all aspects about bodies. And one of the things I experienced for my entire life was a sense of wrongness with my body that I then worked very hard to change, changed, and that feeling didn't just evaporate. And so I would love to hear your perspective on that or your experience with that. I'm very interested.
1: Yeah. So I am no stranger to body issues. I'm transgender and that comes along with gender dysphoria, which my earliest memories in life consisted of this feeling of gender dysphoria. Of this, It's such a hard thing to explain, although I guess someone who did struggle with body issues can relate to an extent, um, just a misalignment with how I was being perceived by the outside world and myself, and then even further, the way I would view myself and having to come to terms with I was incorrectly viewing myself both physically, mentally, spiritually, all that. So... I would say around four or five were the earliest remnants of like, oh, something's like weird. I feel different than everyone around me. And it had a lot to do with um, the way I looked, but also everything, because gender is so much more than just how you look. It's like, you know, your name, it's your the way people speak about you, speak to you, your expectations, Um, I remember being in preschool and that's kind of the earliest where they separate you by gender to an extent. It's like, I remember there was like, um, little blue lockers for the boys and their backpacks and the girls. And I remember feeling weird that I was putting myself in the, in the blue and the boys, but also feeling weird that I felt weird about it. I was like, this feels weird, but it's also weird that I would feel weird about it. Um, so that's obviously a very superficial um, manifestation of it. But the older I got, the more intense these feelings became. Especially hitting puberty, that was when I was like, "Oh, yeah, something's been wrong forever, and it will continue to be wrong, most likely." Um, and then once I was eighteen, I was like, "Okay, I need to, I need to just do something about this." So I looked into like what it is, basically. And um, there's no cure for it. There's no pill you can take to get rid of it. There's no conversion therapy that was tried for centuries. So the best bet currently is transition. And uh, I went for it. I didn't know how I was going to pay for it. I didn't know what it was. the end result was going to be, but I knew I couldn't live the way I was expected to live up until that point. Um, and it opened up my life. Like it, I don't have a sob story. It's like it made me happy. I'm living my best life so and is
0: there so is there any remnants of that uh, malaise or whatever feeling you because i i do think yeah. la- language can be inadequate to really I, I don't know how to i guess the words body dysmorphia accurately apply to how i feel most of the time like I look in the mirror and I can see my ribs, but I feel very fat still. Like, this doesn't make sense, right? And so, basically, I'm asking, is that gone? Did it evaporate?
1: So, body dysmorphia and gender dysphoria are different, and I can say that because I've experienced both, (laughs) because I've I've struggled with an eating disorder as well, and we'll get into that. Um, And that came from working on camera. That was a whole other cause. Um, But it didn't fully go away. Transition wasn't a cure. It was um, a huge aid and it opened up my life in so many positive ways. And I wouldn't be able to live the life I do if I hadn't done it. Um, But I would say maybe once every three months, I will feel that feeling of like, of, it's so hard to explain, of Inaccurately viewing myself in the mirror. So, for example, one of the surgeries that I got was, it's going to sound crazy if you're on the trans world, but I got my forehead done. Okay. So biological males have a ridge right here. So you have it. Every male has it, pretty much. It, I don't know. I don't know about <laughs> this, but I'm feeling okay. <laughs> it's, it's basically like from the side profile, there is a ridge for biological males that isn't present for uh, most females. They have more flat. So I got that sawed down, which sounds brutal because it is. To um, reveal the ridge? Um, No, to get rid of the ridge. To get rid of the ridge. To flatten it. Oh, right. Okay. yeah, got it. Which which sounds nuts if you're not in the trans world, but it was a—I wouldn't take it back. It was a great surgery. But I occasionally will, like, see it in the mirror, even though I know— Like like, a
0: phantom limb.
1: Yeah, like a phantom (laughs) ridge on my forehead where I will be like, okay, I know objectively— the surgeon sawed it down. It is literally not there. Same. I got my nose done. I sometimes I still see a big nose when in reality my nose is actually pretty small now. Like any smaller, and we might be getting into some bad territory. Um, and that's where you get into it's plastic surgery. Even not even just trans, just people in general. They can go overboard. You have to really learn how to stop yourself and see yourself in a more objective lens when you start doing surgeries. Um, so yeah, it doesn't completely go away. You know, away. Um, it's. That's, I guess, a roundabout way of answering your question, but no, it, that answers it. I,
0: I, I it, it's also helpful to me because I, I think I, I come to the place where it's this, uh, a mantra of be objective, mm-hmm. stop being just, it's hard. stop being emotional, stop being just in your mind and reacting. Just take a minute, really look, and be able to see differences that are objectively there. And I mean, I, I can't say that I. Have the same self-loathing that I had two hundred pounds ago, right? It's right. not the same, but I, but then it'll it'll creep up like a shadow or like a fog, and I have to stop and look and go knock it off.
1: That's almost exactly what it's like for me. It's like I'll just be living my life and be happy with the decisions I made, and all of a sudden it's like like it's just there, yeah. And it kind of knocks me out for a day. Honestly, I, I mean, I. So when I was in the thick of feeling dysphoria um, and relates to my gender, I wasn't able to function as a person. I wasn't able to go to the grocery store. I remember very distinctly, I had a boyfriend at the time before I transitioned and like we were supposed to go grocery shopping and I woke up fine that day. I was like, yeah, we'll go to the store whatever. And about an hour before that shadow crept in and I was like, I can't go. I can't go. And I, w- I would find the most specific, stupid reasons why. Because in grocery stores, it, it sounds psycho, but I know that you can relate to this to an extent. It's like there's like overhead lighting. And at the time, I had like that ridge. And I'd be like, I don't want people to see the shadows on my face. They're going to come from having like this brow bone or whatever, which sounds so crazy. And it's so in the weeds with it. But that's how it is. Like You get down to very specific little things. Yeah. And they're irrational to everyone around you. Um but I do know, like, there is an objectively large change that I've made. <laughs> like, right. I'm, I am not – I don't look even remotely like the person I used to. I look at pictures, and I'm like, that's a different human being. Um, you know, my own family, I've, like, literally walked past my family um, in – I've, like, visited my hometown and walked past one of my cousins that didn't know I was in town – had no idea who I was, yeah. like didn't recognize me. So I know I've changed a lot, and I know it's been positive for me, but it doesn't completely go away.
0: Well, I, you know, in 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 fairness to you, I um, became familiar with you because you're friends with my friend Michael Malice, and the first time I think I saw you with him, you were having a conversation that didn't really make sense to me. I Like I just didn't understand. I think it was a back and forth, and then I had to look – at you and read about it. And I I was like mystified because there really is nothing masculine about you.
1: Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure that probably feels the same as people telling you there's nothing fat about you because there right. literally isn't. You and, know what well, and
0: even you saying that, I want to like my instinct is to go, well, hold on, let's really get into this. There's Likewise. so much fat here, right?
1: <laughs> Likewise, I could I could like like well, there's this and this and this yeah. And let's this. not do that. Let's be the let's right. be the champion. Right, one hundred percent. You know, it's it's like a struggle, and then it gets into the fact that okay, so. I became known as a trans person online who approaches certain topics from a non-conventional sort of standard because I'm right-leaning politically and you don't have a lot of trans people like that in the public space. So then suddenly I'm like working on camera, which I never set to do, by the way. I made like one video – fell into it, thought seven people would watch it, five being family members, woke up the next day, there was 100,000 views on it. Wow! And then my life's been different ever since. So then suddenly I'm on camera, and I'm seeing myself from different angles, and I'm, I'm getting critiques from people. And then I develop a lot of body issues just based on that. Yes. So I've, you know tinkered with a lot of things with filler and with procedures, and I've gone up and down in weight, and I've gone between periods of – in 2019, I think I got down to, like, 112 pounds or something because I wasn't eating and I was abusing laxatives, Yeah, which is, like, so effed. I don't know if I can cuss on here. But you can. Okay. I was so fucked. Like, yeah. don't ever do that. Like – They don't actually make you lose weight. It's so insane to think they do. They just dehydrate you. It's horrible.
0: That is actually one of the points I try to bring up repeatedly because there can be a myriad uh, strategies for weight loss, but that doesn't all mean fat loss. Like when I think anybody thinks I want to lose weight, their idea – if you peel it back is, I want to reduce the amount of fat I have on my body. Very few people are going like, I'd like to lose bone density. I'd like to lose lean tissue. Like these are not typical. Or, you know, occasionally I will hear like gals want to reduce bloating or get rid of water. And in that case, maybe like a laxative or one of those water pills But really, it's not a strategy for long-term weight loss.
1: No, and the laxative thing is so unhealthy for you. It it got to the point where, I mean, it's not even something I'm, like, proud to talk about. It's, like, kind of embarrassing, actually. But when I I was abusing laxatives, it was about um, a year stretch where I was doing it. And it got to the point where when when, when you're, like, forcing yourself to expel water and, and waste and whatever, you're also expelling nutrients. And it got to a point where I woke up one day and I, like, Kind of almost fainted. I just woke up and I was like, I'm just so weak from. And I've also always struggled with food. Like, I'm so bad with food and temptation, and ugh, it's the worst. But then I also had to, like, just come to terms with the fact that, like, I will never be perfect. And I'm not going to, I have to get off of this train of achieving some sort of perfection. And I think that that's also where plastic surgery gets in the mix. It's like part of you believes you can when you start doing surgeries and stuff. So it's hard working on camera and you will. You'll take. You'll internalize one negative comment about one small thing about you, and your mind will ignore. You could have like literally thousands of comments, like you're hot, you're pretty, you're beautiful, you're skinny, and then one person's like you're fat and ugly. It's like, well, that's I'm a fat ugly bitch then, (laughs) yeah, because this one person from Wyoming said so. Yeah, now
0: I'm I'm very good at not engaging in negativity online. I, I generally will ignore it. However, that said. I have the same experience as you where 400 comments of like, thank you for showing me that this can be done. And, and that feels great. And I, I, I appreciate that so much. But like one guy writes, did you gain weight or something, even if it's not mean? And that will hang me up. Like, what about this picture? It looks like I gained weight. Like, you know, right. like, and it, it's just because it's haunting.
1: Yeah, and then if you want to get even more in the weeds about it, so people will compliment girls now by saying like, oh, you're looking thick or you're getting thick or she's thick or whatever, which in their mind, they're really just talking about, I don't know, like your ass or whatever. But when people say that to me, I'm like, oh, I'm getting round everywhere. (laughs) Great. So it's like even stuff that can be perceived as a compliment, like when you have that thing that you and I have, you can twist it to a negative, which really sucks. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Also like I think I got addicted to working out for a while, which people don't talk about that because working out is it's a net positive almost always. Only in the rare instances can be can it be a negative. But it got to be a negative for me. And this this is in 2019 when I was also abusing laxatives where I would wake up, do like an hour and a half of really hard cardio, get back and where a normal person would be like, Oh my God, that was such a good workout. I'm set for the day. I can maybe even like eat what I want to eat or whatever. I'd be like, that wasn't enough. And I'd have to go back. And I was wearing myself down. But what sucks also is like, I was getting so many compliments. Like you look so skinny. You look so great. I was like, Fuck. And you're
0: like, I, I want, give me more. I'll yeah, do that. Yeah, what's, yeah. What's, the, uh, what's the strategy to keep that coming?
1: Yeah. i was also wondering on your end. So um, I was watching like your episode of Rogan on the plane here and just different interviews you've done. And there's definitely a narrative when you search up your name on YouTube and your narrative is definitely your body transformation. That's like a big one for you. Yeah. Obviously, your amazing work, obviously. I grew up watching you, by the way, on TV and movies. <laughs> But that's a big one people are really focused on. Does that ever bother you as well, even though you're so open about it that, like, it's kind of like your thing to talk about body now? Does that ever trigger that for you? Uh,
0: no. It, it, I mean, no. I, I I basically, prior to that, I, I mean, I, I started doing Twitter a little bit in, like, 2008 and then got so sick of it and found Twitter to be, like, really not yeah. healthy for me. And so I just didn't really participate for a long time. And then I got Instagram a couple of years ago specifically for a TV show I was doing and posted like four pictures on that and then was like kind of disinterested in that too. And so my presence in social media is just this. It's not talking about work and movies. It's talking about weight loss and more so even than weight loss, I think this idea of setting a goal and achieving a goal because- you know, I think weight loss is a little too vague sometimes. It could be very helpful to, to somebody who's got who needs to lose massive weight loss, but I, I want to get more specific with it. So it really ultimately serves me in keeping me accountable and on track right. and focused. And like, so I'm happy to talk about it. And and you know, we arrive at today when I have four movies coming out, and I don't really want to talk about any of them. I'd rather talk about body stuff.
1: Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense to me. Because I know for me sometimes, like, one of the reasons why I have the career I have is to talk about trans stuff. That's, like, a big thing. And normally it's fine. And I'm happy to talk about it. Today I'm very happy to talk about it. Love it. But sometimes it just, like, you just get this reminder and it helps that shadow creep in. It's, like, just always, like, wake up, talk about trans shit. Go to bed, wake up, talk about trans shit. It's, like... Damn, like it does make you realize that it's never ever going to go away. The body stuff, yeah. and but I think I'm the healthiest with it that I now than I have been in years. Like I've learned that people, even though like comments maybe about your looks, positive or negative, I'm starting to realize that people do, for the most part, the overwhelming majority care about me because of this, because of talking, because of my thoughts on things, because of my opinions on the world, um, and that I think has helped a little bit.
0: Yeah, I think it's really important, too, what you're doing in that space, what I'm trying to do, hopefully I'm doing, and approaching it in this space, is anybody out there who's thinking about this and not acting on it for whatever reason, because they're scared or they're intimidated or they don't know the answer to some of this, I want to talk about it in a way where it's like the good, the bad, and the ugly... Here's what my experience was. Do you know what I mean? And I think yeah. that that's what you do. That's what I've seen you do. And it's very, very helpful, I think, to anybody who's got this impulse, got this feeling, but doesn't know what to do, has no outlet, has no motivational person, has no voice. Um, there's a lot of... Well, first, with weight loss and, and me and the, the kind of mental baggage that I created By way of growing up and living the life that I lived, I do believe it will be a lifelong thing. I don't believe there's any finish line. I think there's uh, a thousand finish lines that just present my entire life to me, right? And so I don't think I'm ever out of the woods. Um,
1: Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, And for not even just trans women, but like women and men who get plastic surgery and stuff like that, that's... What you have to be so aware of, like, you, like it's so easy to go so far with it. And the other thing is there's a really big rush that you get when you do surgery, as an example. Um, it's crazy because when you get surgery, people talk about this. Did you, did you have weight loss surgery or just?
0: I had skin removal surgery. Okay. So I think I technically lowered my weight in doing that because they – They took skin off of my body, but I woke up from that surgery weighing more and then proceeded to gain weight. So I never had a surgery that actually resulted in weight loss.
1: Oh, okay. Well, then just tell me if I get too off topic here, but just speaking of body image and like surgery and stuff, what happens is people talk a lot about post-surgery depression. So I've actually only had one surgery, just had multiple procedures, but you get... This really, really dark wave of depression afterwards. So I actually gained a lot of weight after I transitioned because I was posted up in bad healing and because you just you don't do a lot after surgery, so you gain weight. That was the start of my body issues relating to like weight and thickness rather than just gender. But then you also get this crazy high after the depression. You go really, really low, then you go really, really high and It's so easy to get addicted to that. It's like doing a drug. So you see like... And
0: this is separate from the pharmacological experience of like painkillers or anti-anxiety meds.
1: Yeah. It's not like a high, like you're like out of it. It's more of like you get so happy. Right. You get... Because all of a sudden you're seeing these changes and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I did this. And so people get so addicted to that. You see like episodes of Botch where people, you think like, how did this person get to the point where they have no nose or their breasts are like three times the size of their head like it's but having done plastic surgery I know exactly how they get to that point because if I didn't have like a strong support system around me and if I wasn't like as grounded as I like to believe I am I think I obviously could have been just like them because you get like this really weird rush from it that you don't get from anything else and I've done DMT. I've done a lot of stuff right. that you get hides from and it's nothing like plastic surgery. Yeah. I'm like almost fiending for it right now talking about it. Right. <laughs> Let like, me get that like, doctor's office. I am in LA, so maybe I can make a pit stop now. Yeah. I, I ha- I'm a recovering drug
0: addict, and so um my experience with surgery was how strong a meds can I convince the doctor to give me? Oh. And I always have to announce, like, I'm an addict, like you shouldn't give me this stuff, but if this is going to be real painful. Well, it got it got so bad that like the last two surgeries I've had, I've had no opiates while under anesthesia. And I've had to have them sign stuff saying they wouldn't give me opiates when I woke up asking for them because wow, yeah. that's what I do. Um, but when you talk about a high, a post-surgical high, I'm like – yeah, let's get some of that <laughs> oxycodone, some of that fentanyl and that's that but it's it sounds like it's something totally different.
1: Yeah, so I like really messed up with my um the meds I got after surgery because I was, like, so out of it from the surgery. I didn't realize you take them at different times. So, like, I would wake up and take every pill they prescribed me at once. So, like, the pain was horrible from the surgery. It was the worst thing I've ever felt, but it was still so muted from what it could have been because I was just so messed up on drugs. It was crazy. But I have that addict thing in me, too, which is why I'm very careful because I was the only person in my immediate family to not be addicted to drugs. Yeah. Um, So I grew up around that. I'm very aware of it. Like, I'm that person who... I avoid drinking if I can. Yeah. I avoid any and all drugs if I can, because um, I've seen what that does to people. So,
0: yeah. How do you maintain your figure now? Like, are you specific with your diet? Specific with exercise? What is your What is your
1: strategy now? Um, I've found uh, this new balance of being fit without being obsessive, which is so. That was my problem: is I was so obsessive with the working out and. I think it's because I'm so bad with food that I got so obsessed with working out and with and with abusing laxatives, which is disgusting, because I knew I couldn't control the foods. So I'm like, well, let me like control it with the working out. I have a new balance where I I work out almost every day, probably like five to six times a week. Um, I just do um, decently heavy cardio, like 45 minutes to an hour of cardio. Then I'll do like some arms to make sure I'm toned and stuff like that. But um, I don't let my g- myself get too into it because I know what that results in for me and then with food that's something I still I still, I cannot get a hold of the food thing so I don't know I feel bad not being able to say like this is what I do in no this is my that, I mean that's great I think, yeah. I think that, that like I had cake last night and I, I was I remember thinking like okay I'm gonna wake up and do the podcast I don't want to be like bloated or like whatever but then I ended up ordering cake so <laughs> Who Postmates cake? Yeah, I was going to ask you, where where, where, where do you buy cake? It wasn't a birthday party? I Postmated it to my hotel room just here in LA. I'm like, in a hotel room by myself. No one can hold me accountable. I'm just going to Postmates cake. Yeah. Yeah. But then, if I'm honest, because I'm not still over my body issues – I haven't eaten yet today. I'm like, well, let me not eat you're the rest of the day. You're still
0: thinking you're burning the calories from the cake. That's still fueling you. Yeah. yeah. I'm
1: like, how much am I burning from sitting here talking? Hopefully right. a lot. Right. Yeah. It's a little
0: warm in here. We could be burning extra Yeah, I'm, I'm
1: melting a little bit. It's yeah. fine. But that's just the point, though. It, it doesn't go away. You just have to fight every day for, for a balance for it. And yeah. I'm still kind of finding it.
0: And you think that, I mean, I, I don't want to phrase it that way. Do you think that there is a... A tipping point where you you can clearly be in the mode of winning the fight so that, you know, because there's a point where this kind of stuff can be overwhelming and, like, shut a person down. Yeah. You know, and then I think I've gotten to a point, it sounds like you've gotten to a point where whatever success you've had in winning, you get to the point where you're almost just, like, riding the wave and, and you're going, like, okay, that shit's going to come up. It's unavoidable. Maybe it's lifelong. If not, I'm going to prepare for it to be so. And I have some tools to brush it off when it comes and it envelops me.
1: Yes. Um, And I'll give you my answer for both the gender stuff and the weight stuff because there's two different answers. I don't know how many of your listeners are struggling with the gender stuff, but I'll tell them my answer anyways. I want to hear it. It's fascinating. So um, I get that like every three months um, shadow. We talked about the creeps in with my gender and I'll be looking in the mirror and I know I'll see stuff that I don't see. Like the fact that I can look in the mirror and see a flat chest when I objectively don't have a flat chest is there's clearly something in the mind with that. I'll completely give myself the day off when I feel that because I know there's nothing I can do. I have to just ride it out like a wave, but I only give myself a day. And I tell myself, like, tomorrow, even if there's a little remnant still left, you just have to be a bad bitch and go out and kill it. You cannot just sit there and let it envelop you. Um, And then I also have um, a fiancé that talks to me and kind of like, I'll be like, so am I crazy for feeling like I have no boobs today? And he's like, yeah, you're fucking nuts. Like, that's crazy. So I think having someone that can kind of fill you back in on reality because it disappears when you're in that mode. Um, is important. And also limiting the amount of time, setting aside time that I'm going to feel this, I'm going to let myself feel it, and then I'm done. With the weight stuff, I think that for me, it's about remembering that your worth is so much more than just what you look like.
0: Right.
1: It's about remembering like, okay, so people are listening to me talk for a living. So clearly my brain matters too. And to what extent does my body matter in comparison to my mind. Probably not a lot if we're honest because I don't think I'd have the job I have if I was just like an idiot or to have nothing interesting to say. Remembering that there's other parts of your life that are more important than how you look and because also remembering like there's been times where I was at like my best with my body where everywhere I went I was getting compliments and I, I felt great and I looked great and I still remember feeling that like shadow. Yeah. So the fact that I could still feel that and still feel the urge to starve myself or still feel the urge to abuse laxative or still feel the urge to obsessively work out, even at my, like, peak body, that's how I know it's not real. So it's just doing whatever you can to, like, remember that it's not fucking real. Yeah. And also that, like, on a deeper level, this might be too deep for the podcast. I don't know. No, let's do it. Okay. So I did DMT recently. Kay. I did it twice. Have you done no psychedelics at all. Okay. I
0: I, I was so. Uh, I by the way I've been to rehab three times. I've been a total alleyway drug addict. But the handful of times I smoked pot, I got so freaked out that I. Okay. I, I got. The idea of doing something like DMT or acid or even mushrooms, I thought I would lose my mind. Like, okay. that's how bad pot freaked me out.
1: So I've never... I've and never you had- might. You might you might completely be right to not try it. Like, I yeah. do not advise trying it then. Um, but for me, one of the things that I experienced from doing DMT, I've never done like a hard drug or anything. Um, and to me, at least, I view psychedelics as a bit different because it comes from the earth, found in the human body, whatever. Um, but... Maybe that's just me making an excuse. Uh, But doing DMT, one of the main things you learn and you experience is this out-of-body experience. So when you do DMT, and it sounds crazy if you haven't done it, but you leave your body. Mm. And that's why um, a lot of people think that or they know that during near-death experiences, the body releases DMT. And that's why people describe the leaving my body thing, going through the tunnel, whatever. Um, You can get that feeling by just doing DMT. Um, And so I did that. Is that not fucking terrifying? On paper, it should be, but when you do it, um, you kind of just let go, and once you let go, it feels great. It's the best feeling ever. Um, I sound like a (laughs) drugie. No, but it I, I, feels great. It, it, it feels it, you,
0: but it's not the result. You're not resigned to death. You're not like, yeah. oh, I'm dying and it's okay. It's there
1: was that- a part of me that before I did it, I was like, okay, so if if this is like tricking my brain into thinking it's dying, then maybe it might actually shut down. Right. Um, and right. placebo, yeah, kills but luckily, um, just from looking into it, that doesn't really happen. So, um, but. What I gained personally after doing DMT and feeling that out-of-body experience is, like, this overwhelming sense of, like, this isn't real. Yeah. Like, we are so much more than—I don't know if it's about God or an afterlife or whatever. I don't know if I'm sold on either of those things. But I do know that this is just a shell for whatever this existence is and whatever we are, is that this isn't so real. And it's proof that by the fact that, I, like, I've altered it and I've played with it and I've done different things, you know? Um, so— It gave me just a sense of like, there's something greater than just like if I'm one twenty or one twenty five pounds or one thirty or if my breasts are this size or not or if my nose is this big or not. Like none of that matters.
0: Yeah, I I think I hold the the basically the ideas and concepts that you just communicated as beliefs without having (laughs) to do do, do. well without having necessarily objectively experienced it for myself or subjectively experienced it for myself. So I, I I think. Largely that whether we're going to go like dialectical materialism or super spiritual or either side, no matter what, I am experiencing all of this from my perspective, which is just whatever I make it out to be. And so it all kind of exists in my head no matter what. And whether that is literally in my brain or in a soul that's in my brain or in some other alternate universe what whatever it is it's i kind of like the idea of this shit is here and how i react to it is up to me and it's all kind of meaningless
1: is that sad 100% no no because i think that there's like a certain freedom that can be achieved through understanding that is like oh so then if it doesn't really matter then I'm free to live this life how I want and have fun and be myself and just get rid of all the things that, you know, you're conditioned to have to need or want or, or get value from. And it, we ultimately
0: have control. We can yeah. determine the, like, you know, um, I love having conversations with my kids where they come to me and they're like, this thing is terrible. And I'm like, let's discuss how terrible it is. And- You can get to a point where you talk about how terrible something is for so long that you kind of go like, it's not so bad. Maybe it's wonderful. And you can start to go over into that area of like, now let's try to find wonderful things about this thing that you hate and watch a person go from here's my initial reaction to if I try to think about it a different way, I can have a different experience with it. And and that I find – so powerful that I can experience things differently based on yes. my mood or what I had to eat the night before or how much sleep I had. And if that's the case, then it really is all just in my head, you know? Yes. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
1: And it also is a lesson in just not taking life or yourself too seriously also because some of my best memories – and funniest memories and memories where I bonded the most with the people around me are like when you like went through something annoying or bad or had food poisoning. That time you're on your way to Six Flags or, um, you know, something didn't go as planned and like it sucked at the moment, but you have a funny story. And that's kind of like what life is. Um, before I forget, the other thing I want to say about that helped me, because um, I think this is valuable as well, like not place so much value in like my body is that. Understanding that I don't value other people's bodies like that. Yeah. Like, I don't look at my fiance or my friends and be like, well, two pounds heavier, even 10 pounds heavier. By by
0: the way, this is a super tough one for me because I go to the gym and I cannot help but look at dudes and go like, that guy's got the perfect traps. You know, that guy, look at the, the V shape of his lats. I can't help it. I don't do that to women, but to, yeah. to men, I
1: can't. I cannot help but do that. But they look at you the same way. Uh, as the, don't, don't as the, no, no, for real. That's what you learn, like, because I am friends with a lot of people in the fitness industry, and um, I have a lot of friends in the trans community, and comparing yourself to other people that are kind of, like, all the same as you. So for you, other men, me, other trans women or women, like, it's such a natural thing, but they're doing it back is yeah. what people don't really Process is the same way I can maybe feel a slight bit of intimidation in my heart if I see like another trans woman or another woman and and see maybe like what I think is ideal or perfect about them. They're doing the same back. So, and and I will
0: say for me, I can admire um, a a dude's traps in the same way that I admire like Stavros Halkius's confidence, who he's a guy who's got a, a gut. And he does a, a nude catalog, uh, right. a, not a nude, um, what's it called? Uh, calendar. And and like he has so much confidence that like I'm like I want that too. Like you, do you know what I mean? Like it isn't all just strictly yes. literal aesthetics. It's also how it's presented and and with the confidence it's presented. Jack Black walks around with his shirt off. Yeah. And like, you know. If I if I looked like him, I don't believe I could confidently walk around with my shirt off. I can't confidently walk around with my shirt off now. Jack Black's got a giant gut and so much confidence, right. and you're just like, yeah, dude, fucking go. You're killing it, you right?
1: Know? Right. And you don't look at him and and place a, a value judgment that's negative Not or at be. More. Um, maybe some people look at that and say you, e, but they're assholes. Um, but and then also that thing that you and I have that makes us never completely confident or always go back to that and have that shadow creeping in like what you have to understand is these people that look perfect and that meet those like aesthetic standards that you feel are top tier or whatever they all feel it too like when you're at the gym and there's like just the baddest bitch ever that you see and like she looks like she could snap you in half and she's just so built she's feeling these feelings of insecurity too most likely especially people who really work very hard at striving to have an aesthetic like that they have that bug and that's what puts them there yeah it's like people don't get to the point of like i don't know like who has like just like a crazy perfect aesthetic like i don't know like Bradley Martin, like super jacked guy, bodybuilder, whatever, power lifter. like I know, like I haven't had this conversation with him. He's a friend, but I haven't talked about it. I know he probably is driven by it in some form of feeling like inferior with the way he looks. You have to be to achieve that level of aesthetic. So right. they all have it. It's not just you who is feeling that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and they're, I mean, it's it's also, I think, borne out in truth that what you're saying, because they're there at the gym always trying to improve themselves.
1: Yeah. If they're there at 8 8 a.m. just like you, they have that bug too. Right.
0: Yeah. No, that's a good point. That's something to keep in mind. I I do um, occasionally have people say to me, um, like, I want to achieve what you've achieved. And I'm like, me? Look at these 40 guys I follow on Instagram. They're killing it. I'm not killing it. But I I, I wouldn't say that just because I want people to go after what they
1: want to go after. the same with me, like I'll have um, trans people reach out and be like, who is your surgeon or how did you get to this point or how did you do that? And I'm like, you want to look like me or you want to do what I've done? Like, OK, so obviously I obviously always help out because you have to. I mean, I feel like that's kind of a responsibility almost for me, but I'm like. Okay, well, that reminds me that the way I'm—that's the other thing. I know in my heart and in my mind that the way people see me is not the way I see myself. Yeah. I know it because there's certain compliments I'll get, um, and it might be the thing I'm most insecure about. But it's like sometimes it'll be like an overwhelming consensus. just thousands of people say it online, and I'm like, well, then I can't see myself the way I really am. If all these people think this about me is attractive, if I'm feeling like it's not, well, then— Maybe I'm just wrong, right, or we are wrong on what is attractive, like that's the other thing right? like how, how the fuck do I know? yeah, everyone has different like standards like, and that's probably based on the fact that, like, you know, like you're attracted to women, you wouldn't want to be with you, but like, you don't know what someone who's attracted to men likes, yeah, same with me, vice versa yeah
0: it's it's a it is a vicious like the the human mind is so fascinating and and I, I think like. That we evolved so long in such a specific way of like having to uh, physically work for survival at every turn. And then we kind of open our eyes in a blink and go through this huge industrial revolution and now this technological revolution. And, you know, life is for all intents and purposes much, much easier because we don't have to – struggle in as literal terms to survive. We don't have to use our bodies. And so now we have so much more to think about and thinking about thought and how we react. And it's all just so crazy. Like if we were in the jungle and a lion jumped out at us, we're going to have a reaction. It's going to be fight or flight. Like there's not going to be time to sit there and go like, how should I react? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But having a car, having a podcast trying to figure out how to um, talk about weight loss failure for 20 years. You know what I mean? Like this is a crazy thing to even be thinking about.
1: Yeah. (laughs) You know? Actually, yeah. It's making me think of like all the things that I have made a living talking about for years. And it's like, whoa, like that's never even mattered until like five minutes ago. (laughs) Yeah. It's so crazy. And it's like – the epitome of first world problems in a way. It's like shit's so easy that all of a sudden, like, transgender? Like, what the fuck is that? Like, 50 years ago, what the fuck is that? Um, damn, that, but that reinforces the idea that none of it's real.
0: Yeah, I, that's what I think. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, I don't think with transgender, I think that's a, a, a different thing. But, like, with the non-binary stuff, I grew up punk rock. I identified as punk rock. If some... Buddy had called me a Hesher, it would have crushed me. It would have been totally catastrophically upsetting to me because I was punk rock and that was different than the heavy metal kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I had a mohawk. I didn't have long hair. This is should be obvious to everyone that I'm not a Hesher. But now where there's this thing of like, I want to opt out, fine. I don't, I was punk rock. I was opting out clearly. But I don't know about how to reinvent this category. Like I I have trouble bringing my mind around to understanding, trying to get somebody else to acknowledge that I'm punk rock if they want to call me a hesher. Does that make sense to you?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I, I completely relate to that. Um, so the non-binary thing, it's like it on paper, if you're going just based on where I'm supposed to be with social attitudes and whatever, like I should... Be relating to that to some extent, right? Well, I should be.
0: I don't even understand how trans relates to it because it doesn't. Yeah, it, isn't there? And if I say anything
1: I'm, offensive, I'm not, tell me. I'm completely open. Like you can say or missay anything. You're, okay. you're all good. If trans. Is about the two sexes. 100%. That's like... That's the historical precedent. That is the biological precedent, the scientific precedent. It's been our understanding of what trans is for a very long time. And So, like, I made the joke earlier, like, oh, trans 50 years ago, what the fuck was that? That was a joke. It really was around back then. Sure. Um, People couldn't necessarily achieve maybe what I or other trans women could now through science and surgery and all that. But people uncomfortable with their biological sex has been around. It's a phenomenon that's always existed throughout history and history has treated them differently based on which society, like there are some societies where like people viewed them as um, gods to an extent and they like had a certain status and they were seen as something different than just man or woman. But um, yeah, but it is about like a biological male who feels like a biological, who feels like a female or vice versa. Right. Um, And in the last few years, Literally, 2015 was the first time that, if you Google it, the word non-binary um, in the context of gender was actually ever even used. Like, it just flat out was not used. It's a new concept. You see the, the trends, and it goes up and up and up in 2015 and before this is that just flat line. Opting out of gender. It's it's opting out of gender, but it's also, to me, doesn't make sense because you're still trying to be included in the conversation of gender. And you're still trying to insist that people who are trans are under – or that it's under the umbrella of trans, which – But trans to me seems very
0: much about a binary.
1: Yeah, it's very specific. It's very much about a binary, um, and it is for most trans people. And I've personally never met any trans people who see themselves as non-binary, but I have met non-binary people who see themselves as trans because I think there's a certain – in some way – certain benefit to having that label these days if we're being honest I mean I'm highly aware of it I I don't think I'd have the career I did if I wasn't trans it's it's an entryway for many people and it's interesting to a lot of people and I've literally capitalized off of it Um, I don't have any problem saying that it is what it is Um, so yeah I I don't relate to the non-binary conversation at all Um, and but what's frustrating is like I don't have to relate to something to be okay with it, right? Yeah,
0: no, this is not a judgment or me saying I'm not okay with it. It it is really more about, listen, and I'm fucking old. I'm going to be a grandfather in
1: April. I'm an old guy. Wow, (laughs) I feel old too at 28. I don't understand half of it.
0: Yeah, and so it's more like I, I am for sure okay with anybody expressing themselves in any way they want to express themselves. I think the invention of a new idea that is then forced yes on others you must have this idea with me that I have some trouble with yeah but you know
1: do you but also don't force me to be included in the same label as you the well, same way you're like yeah. punk but not goth it's like it's like yeah like I I transition from male to female I'm not some third gender, some 72nd gender. I'm not genderless. Like, it's a very specific thing. And also, the reason why I'm so adamant about not being lumped in with non-binary is because it decreases society's understanding of people like me, which in reality, you know, I live a great life, but there are a lot of people like me who don't, and it requires society figuring out what the hell's going on with people like me. And you can't do that when you muddy the waters by... I'll just say it, lying that there are, there's no such thing as biological sex or lying that there are more than two genders. The reality is you can opt out of the concept of gender, and that's, that can be how you see yourself, but you don't get to change it for the rest of the world. You don't get to redefine how everyone else sees sex and gender because there are scientific realities and biological realities to these concepts.
0: Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Yeah, I, I had a friend who was like, they changed... The definition of some of these pronouns, and and I had to push back and go. When something has been sexually ambiguous in the past, we've always used they and them. If we didn't know,
1: right? Like if someone's at a distance and you couldn't tell, it's like that them over there kind yeah. of thing. Yeah.
0: Or like my kid comes home and says, "My teacher was mean to me," and I say, "What did they do?" Because you don't know yet. I yeah. don't know what teacher could be m- masculine or feminine. I have no idea. So they and them as a ambiguous single person pronoun has always existed. But if you're putting forward the culturally normal associated things like a long hair and a dress that has been associated with femininity, then the assumption that you're feminine is what I'm going to make. And if you tell me I'm doing violence, I just don't, this is something that gets so complicated for me to try and understand.
1: Yeah. And what sucks is that it complicates what would otherwise be a pretty simple thing, right? So your brain, when you see a human being, your brain subconsciously registers male or female. Every human being you see, your brain will do that. It's not like it's a conscious thing. So when people talk about misgendering, it's like, well, it, it would be a little ridiculous if I sat before you and I was like, you have to call me he. I couldn't do it.
0: Exactly. I would have to, th- I would have to try, like it would be yeah, it hard would be to do. It would be
1: an effort every time you spoke to me or of me, right? And so I think that it's unhealthy to set yourself up to have this adversarial relationship with life where you are someone who's presenting completely as a woman, but you decide like, I only want they, them, and I only want male, or fe- male pronouns when you look like a woman. It's like, well, you can do that.
0: But maybe do the job of uh, dumbing down your gender more you know what I mean like there are certainly people who I've come into contact with and not known yeah is that a guy or a girl and in that case they works for me Uh, you know I don't know it's very complicated
1: yeah and it sucks because you know um, statistically LGBT acceptance has actually been going down recently for the first time in uh, years about a decade Um, Is that true? Yeah. And I think it's because things are just getting overly complicated and people are seeing things like biologically male athletes going and just like destroying female competitors in sports. They're seeing, you know, 10 and 11 year olds going on drugs that are going to permanently alter their bodies for the rest of their lives. And you're seeing this sort of- The
0: the drugs thing is tricky. The drugs thing is tricky. And I don't know, I, I think like, I think there's a conversation about drugs for- America and how much drugs we Mm -hmm. take, but like I know if if hormones are popular now, when I was a kid, or not really when I was a kid, when when my older kids were young, Ritalin and Adderall were like every kid in school was was on these things. Doesn't that have some? And and maybe it has no effect long term, but I I think doing stuff like that because I've only done adderall recreationally that's a very strong drug like if you can't get your hands on cocaine or speed and you get some adderall you can have a good night you know
1: yeah 100 um so yeah like kids being over prescribed is a huge problem and we can get into conversations about big pharma yeah, we don't and seem to
0: back off from giving kids drugs in america
1: right But what's so sad is that in part of this trans issue becoming such a craze and such a social contagion to where it's just on everyone's minds at all times, and admittedly, I've I've profited from it, right? I've capitalized off of it because it's a thing. There is this, like, lackadaisical attitude towards sterilizing kids and towards medicalizing kids without understanding that, like, in case anyone's not aware, like, I'm on estrogen for the rest of my life. My body does not— create it naturally because I'm biologically male. I'm, I'm on these drugs forever. Why are you signing kids up for that at 12, 13 years old? Why are you interrupting their normal development? Because right now they feel this way. The same way that like you were a punk kid. I was I had trends I went through like I was a little email kid. It's like those come and go and people want to act like gender is so different, but not really for kids like kids latch on to things very easily and it multiplies in friend groups. So they're in the UK, at least where a lot of these things are going on because they are even kind of further along than we are. in understanding what's happening is that there has been a 4000 percent increase in young underage girls identifying as trans. This is abnormal for multiple reasons. And we're talking 11, 12, 13-year-olds, like preteens, for multiple reasons. One could say, oh, we attribute that to there's more acceptance for trans people. Okay, maybe that accounts for some of it, but 4,000%, I don't really think so. I think that it's a trend. I think it's popular. I think the fact that you're seeing it in a population that historically you didn't see it in. So gender dysphoria is something that historically and in the DSM has affected primarily young boys, It's not something we saw. Of course, there's always biological females that experienced it, but it's not as common. It was always heavily slanted towards something that young boys feel, can feel. For there to be a 4,000% increase among girls is strange, especially among the population that you also see cutting, that you also see eating disorders very young. um, And you're seeing it multiply in friend groups, which is also odd because gender dysphoria and being trans is something that's been present historically in like 0.01% of the population. Very tiny so when you're seeing it among friend groups, like there's no reason why there should be four girls in a friend group of ten that, that are experiencing this, but you're seeing this. Right. So what's the solution? <sighs>
0: because because I, I, I look, I as a kid told my mom I was a pirate, mm-hmm. you know, and I felt very strongly about that. I was a Power Ranger. I don't. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know that that's the same. However, I think uh, kids, you know. Uh, we have to be totally responsible for them to a degree, uh, to an extent. And then they take over like, you know, a kid can't get a tattoo. That's a permanent thing in America. What? But at the same time, like I know um, the way I felt as a kid about myself was so horrible if there was some path to – Feeling better about myself, I wish I had been on it. I still don't know what that path is today. So I don't know that I have a solution, but what is the solution?
1: So it's so deeply complicated, and this is such a human issue because, like I said, this is this gender dysphoria phenomenon, it's something that's been observed throughout history. And so it's so hard to like narrow it down to what is the solution because I know trans people that transitioned at 12 and are happy. And I also have thousands of people a month reaching out saying, I transitioned at 15. I'm now 19. I made the worst decision of my life. I've interviewed these kids on my channel. Um, There are teenagers these days coming up. And and if you look up the word detransitioner on YouTube, it's nothing but late teens to early 20s kids who are talking about how they remove their breasts or they're permanently sterile or their voice is permanently altered because they went on these drugs at 12 or 13 and realizing, like, Oh, yeah, it was just a phase. But my parents were so gung-ho on affirming this at such a young age that I've now permanently ruined my life. And that has got to be, as someone who is coming from the place of having been so happy with my decision, I can only imagine the opposite to where, like, I went through all this.
0: Like, I'm not happy with it. Right.
1: right. Like, I, I couldn't go back right now if I wanted to. But imagine if I suddenly felt like I had to. That must be, the, like, just the worst form of, like, existential dread.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, no. For and, and even when I try to relate to it in the only way I can, at the end of the day, if I ever am dissatisfied with myself, I can always just eat more. I can always fall back into my old habits. You know what I mean? Like, I will get that back no problem.
1: Right. But if I were to... There's no switch where I could be you, basically. You right. know what I mean? There's no switch right now where I could live a life as a man all of a sudden. Like, maybe I could try. Maybe I could—I don't even know. Regardless. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: have, um, you, I, you have no shot at it today.
1: <laughs> right. Right. Um, so I feel for these kids and I'm, for whatever reason, this is such a taboo topic. I'm on the trans community. I'm really one of the only trans influencers for lack of a better word. I hate that word. Um, that's willing to like platform them and talk to them. Uh, I have them.
0: another question. Yeah. A- and again, if this is, um, if I say something nah, inappropriate, go in. tell me when I was young, uh, and I, I would do a lot of drugs. The, my favorite place in New York was a place called Stingy Lulu's. Do okay. you ever hear of Stingy Lulu's? No, it's not been there for 25 years or 30 years or something. But to, it was right off Tompkins Square Park, and you could go and buy drugs at any bodega that faced Tompkins Square Park, and then you go to Stingy Lulu's. Stingy Lulu's, I don't I don't know that transsexual uh, was – a. A thing I'd ever heard of back then, mm-hmm. but there were transvestites. Is this a yeah. p- bad word to say?
1: Depends who you ask. So um, I'm not saying it. Be- I'm only saying it because yeah.
0: this is what that this is what they called themselves.
1: Yeah. When I w- f- was first kind of, um, I totally get that because my mom, um, when I first came out as trans, she was like, like a transvestite because that was the word that was used back then. It's, yeah. Yeah. So, so I know
0: it's archaic now, but this was the most fun. Group of people <laughs> on earth. There was no more fun group of people. Uh, they had a restaurant and every 15 minutes, they would all sing and stand <laughs> on the tables and sing. And, and it was the best party. And it was just a restaurant called Stingy Lulu's. Um, I f- I, My perception now is that it's become way more conservative.
1: Like, yeah, so- It's very- st- stuffy almost yeah it's because um there is a certain freedom you achieve when you understand that you're on the fringes of society right like and i see this in a lot of like my trans friends um it's like there's a certain like well society's fucked my life's fucked i'm good let's just have fun right yeah. so yeah i totally I totally get that there's a certain element to that um and now the topic is so like it's almost
0: academic and, like...
1: Yeah, and there's a certain importance to understanding these issues on an academic level, but there's also, like, at a certain point, people are, like, just people. Right. And, and, you know, there is a certain culture. Like, the trans community has a culture. Like, it's there's a very specific thing. We have certain words we use. We have certain parties we host. We do certain things. And that definitely is changing, not just from, like... Um, people on the right who don't understand it at all, but also from people on the left who are turning it into this like fad or this trend. It's it's neither one of these political factions get it right to any extent and they really water it down in their own different ways, right? right. So the left will like, I often say like, speaking back on the pronoun thing, I was having this conversation with Michael Malice actually. He sent me this article from this like Hollywood actor who um, the headline was like, Um, Love Simon actor comes out as trans and his pronouns are tree and tree self. (laughs) Pause. Um, And I was like, you know, the left makes trans more of a joke than the right ever could because the right will joke that like, oh, what are your pronouns? Tree. The left really does it. Like they really do have tree pronouns or kitten pronouns and shit, you know. So no one gets it right. And there's a certain freedom to understanding that, like, all these people around you are kind of just idiots about it, and you can just be your fucking self. So I get that, yeah. Yeah. But m- my mom used that word, too, the transvestite word. It's an old word, but... It,
0: and and this... So, so I guess my question is, that group that was that word is now trans. Trans encompasses all of that.
1: Well, um, so there's cross-dressers, which are... Typically like those are like transvestites. So like but it's hard because I like I don't know the the people you were with. So I don't know like were they medically transitioning, were they not? Like does cause that does change things, you know what but I mean? But I don't think that was
0: nearly as common in the in the early nineties, was right. it? Right.
1: No, it wasn't. It was it was a black market thing back then. Right. In fact, um, so being, like, in 2022 now and, like, I live the life I do, like, sometimes I'm a little ignorant to, like, trans history and, like, the people who came before me and, like, the struggle and, like, what it really meant to transition in the 90s, which might have been nothing or might have been taking black market pills. Michael Malice actually is the one who's teaching me about all of it because he's basically a historian and he knows all yeah. this shit about – he's like, you don't even know your history, bitch. I'm like, guess I don't. <laughs> Because he is introducing me to, like, these um, this person named Candy Darling from, like, the 60s, and she was a Warhol muse, um, and she died because she was taking black market estrogen pills. Or people theorize that's one of the reasons. I don't want to say definitively, but basically she was taking these what were described as rather large, eye-drop-shaped black pills. Oh, my God. Um, And she believed that that was estrogen. Was it? Who knows? But it was black market. And then she ended up getting, like, cancer and dying from it, as theorized. And so— You know, I really do benefit from the fact that bitches before me were taking black market pills and dying from it. And then we learned what what it really needed to be. And so it has progressed. So back then, like, maybe it was just cross chesters who called themselves transvestites. Who knows? Right. Um, So... But that's but
0: so that is still a thing. Cross dressing is still a thing.
1: Yeah, but that's more of a of, of a sexual thing, like a fetish thing. Right. So there's like men who dress up as women, and that's like their thing, like they're into like wearing women's underwear and like clothes, and like they get off from it. Whereas for me, it has literally nothing to do with sexuality. Yeah. Like it had only to do with. Um, with myself, which is why I felt it, you know, at four or five. It's like, you don't have a sexuality at four or five.
0: Yeah. These are very, very different things. People
1: uh, get that misconstrued though. And, and, but what sucks is like, it's totally okay to like not know, but people get attacked for asking questions these days. So I understand like even your trepidation and like, I don't want to ask the wrong question, but also like, that's what's frustrating. And that's why I speak out against some of the more like radical activists who make it this very, Heated, like contentious thing. It's like, I don't want people to feel like they have to walk around eggshells around me. I want people to be like, so what is this about? And I can just tell them and we can just move on. Whereas it's such a, you get canceled for anything and everything to do with this topic. Now it's like, I think that's one of my main goals in doing what I do is just try to bring it to like a more centered place.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, that's also the, like, look, language evolves. And mm-hmm. so if, if, there's going to be a new batch of, of genders if that happens. It's
1: if, like a new album,
0: like right, a new like drop. <laughs> if we evolve to the point where we need different lang- – if we're going to start identifying shades of this or whatever, I think it should or I, you know, I don't even like the word should. But I would think a better way of doing it would be like to just use that language and then – politely ask people to use that language and not imagine that everybody's
1: figured it out in two years. The problem is there's new language once a week, basically, right? It's, it's evolving
0: very quickly
1: very quickly. Um, and and do you think that that's
0: because a lot of existence is now happening in a virtual place yes. where, you know, even I remember w- when my kids first had phones, I felt like their, their grammar, they were using different words. Mm-hmm. Like the first time I saw LOL, I was like, I don't understand this, but that was language. Right. And so language does evolve, but now it's so
1: fast. Right. And just the fact that I can't keep up with it and I am trans should be evidence that like most people have no idea what's going on. And most people just kind of go along with it because they understand that they have to right? Most people, it's like, you can't be in a regular workplace and question these things. It's like, you almost have to do what I do or do what you do. It's like, you almost have to be your own boss to even have these conversations because you just can't have them. I'm very empathetic towards people who cannot keep up because I can't. And I'm empathetic towards people that look at things like trans people in sports. And they're like, I don't know if that's right. Looking at 12-year-olds, Sterilizing themselves. I don't know if that's right, right. You know, it's like I get it, and I try to sort of be a bridge between the trans community, which is going 180 miles an hour. They're going in one direction, and seeing people that are kind of watching that car zoom by, and they're like, "Well, wait a minute. How do I even get on this if I wanted to?" Yeah. Right. It's it's hard, but I just try not to be radical about it. That's all. Yeah. But but because I try not to be radical about it, people. Say I'm radical, which is so strange. you are like, right. "What's wrong with you that you're not like thinking the way we are?" It's like, "Well, I'm my own fucking person," yeah. and also maybe I am getting old. Maybe I'm, maybe twenty eight is like archaic to these people. I don't know. Right. But you're a boomer now. I Welcome really to am. the club. I really am. Like, I was having this conversation the other day, and I was talking about kind of like the rapidly changing landscape of like society, whether it's the COVID stuff or the gender stuff or whatever. And I'm like, you know, society is unrecognizable than when I was a kid. Yeah. And I'm only 28. That's the kind of stuff people say when they're like in their fifties and sixties, like, oh, the world is just a whole different place. It's like, I'm only 28. And I'm saying that it shouldn't be that different from when I was growing up, but it is. Listen, I
0: remember having a green mohawk and not relating at all to my parents and my parents really making an effort to like Understand anything about me, and me just being like, no, dude, you cannot get what's happening. Like you're so far, and and now I'm having that totally with my young kids who listen to like, you know, mumble rap that's like all about how much. Um, psychopharmaceutical drugs you they're they're taking. you know what I mean? They're right. so excited about Xanax. Like, come on, that's not such an exciting drug. Like right. it's, it's, it's not, the opposite know. of exciting. Right. You
1: can't feel anything. It's <laughs> so boring
0: and like uh, I don't know. It doesn't even seem rebellious. It's like you're no, you're like singing we want to go to sleep. But I don't get it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um this to, to me is like, you know, Brave New World basically. But I, I don't know. I wonder if that's just also a trap of like, and you're feeling it at 28, which is fucking crazy.
1: Exactly. that, But that's how I know. I was like, I try to differentiate between like, okay, am I just feeling what everyone feels at a certain age? Right. But if it is that thing that everyone just ends up feeling because society's always just going, I probably shouldn't feel the 28. <laughs> yeah. I probably should maybe feel like I'm learning a few things from the next generation, but not like, oh, we're, so we're restructuring society on every level. Right. Every single level. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's scary. A, it's a total do-over at this point. It is. It's like, you know, not to, you know, name drop a like conspiracy theory, but like it feels like a great reset. It feels like everything <laughs> is just kind of like, no, everything's going to be done the exact opposite way, way it's ever been done, and you're going to like it, and if you don't,
0: peace. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Blair, thank you so much. This has been so much fun, and you answered all my questions. I really appreciate it. Thank
1: you. Of course. Thanks for having me. Thank
0: you. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee, and as always, joined by my chaperone, Paige Dorian. Follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely.